Friends, our text comes to us today from Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 24. Listen now for a word from God. Now those who were scattered went from place to place proclaiming the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds with one accord listened eagerly to what was said by Philip, hearing and seeing the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud shrieks, came out of many who were possessed. And many others who were paralyzed or lame were cured. So there was great joy in that city. Now a certain man named Simon had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was someone great. All of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they listened eagerly to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he stayed constantly with Philip and was amazed when he saw the signs and great miracles that took place. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, the Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart isn't right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may happen to me. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the lessons, the truths, and the convictions. God, I pray whatever words we would hear today would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. Are there any Harry Potter fans in the room? A few hands sticking up there. Anyone not like Harry Potter and willing to say it publicly? Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a couple. <laughs> there's a couple out there. Yep, I, I see you in the balcony, Tom. I see you. It's rare. It's rare to meet uh, someone that doesn't like Harry Potter, so uh, kudos to you all that are willing to admit it. Well, I am a Harry Potter fan, 
and I have been for a long time. Um, and I, it, my, the first book I encountered was the, the Sorcerer's Stone, but I actually heard about it because everyone was buying up The Goblet of Fire, book number four. And I have this friend, Spencer, who always recommends just the best books, the best movies, the best um, music to me. I mean, he's, he's just always, he has the best taste in these things. Does anyone have a friend like that? Just like you always go to them, you're like, you always have great advice. And so this was in, I think I was in seventh grade, and Spencer came, he was like, you have to read this book. I said, okay, I'm going to read that book. But I, when I realized it was the fourth book, I had to go back. And so I started with The Sorcerer's Stone. And if you don't know, if you haven't read the series, The, the Sorcerer's Stone um, is the first adventure of Harry and um, Lord Voldemort sort of fighting and competing with one another to attain this red, mysterious stone. And the Sorcerer's Stone is said to have the power to turn any metal that it touches into gold. Or it also has this power that it can help you maintain uh, youth. And so the Sorcerer's Stone represents sort of unlimited money and also unlimited life. And I got to tell you just a funny story. It really has nothing to do with the sermon, but I actually got grounded for reading Harry Potter one time. So I know, I know. Um, So I I had read the first book. I read the first book in like a day, I think. And I I really didn't have that many friends. I wasn't doing much on the weekend. So I, I read the whole book. I think it was actually a Friday. And, and then on Saturday, I read the second book. And then throughout that next week, I read the third book. And then I got the fourth book. And I, I couldn't put it down. And I was, I, I remember I, I'd been reading late. And my mom had had a few conversations with me about, hey, Garrett, you need to go to bed on time. You know, you got to get up for school. You've been late the past couple days. You cannot stay up late reading. She told me, and she told me. And so I'm, I'm reading, and if you've read the fourth book, there's this big tournament that happens, and it's kind of the, the climax of the book. And um, I'm in the tournament, and I'm seeing what's happening, and then I hear my mom coming up the stairs into my room. <laughs> she comes in, doesn't say a word, just grabs the book out of my hand, shuts the light off and walks out. And then she kind of peeks back in and she goes, by the way, you're grounded from reading for two weeks. <laughs> like, oh, this is devastating. Also, she might have just been applying like principles of reverse psychology on me. That if she takes away reading, I'll just want reading more and more, right? Who wouldn't want unlimited life? Who wouldn't want to be younger in here? Who wouldn't? Anyone? <laughs> yeah, there's a few people in the back. Yeah. Okay. Who wouldn't want all those bags of gold? It'd be tempting, you know. You could do a lot of good things. You could set up a charitable trust. You could do good with that money. You think about if, if you were able to live forever and you positioned yourself right, I mean, you, you could have a lot of information that you keep. And information, as we know now, is, is kind of a form of power. And so you could, I mean, think about what you could do with all that money and all that life. And if you were to position yourself correctly, oh my goodness, think about, think about the control that you might have over the world. Who wouldn't want the Sorcerer's Stone? In our text for today, we meet Simon, and we're told that Simon is a Samaritan. 
And this is significant for, for the text. The Samaritans had this long-standing feud with the people of Judah. And it began when uh, the, the one kingdom of the nation of Israel actually split into two. And you can read about this in the book of Kings, the book of Chronicles. But it, it used to be one nation, and then it split into two. And there was the northern kingdom, and there was the southern kingdom. And it, once they split, you know, it was... I don't want to say it was like a civil war, but it wasn't unlike a civil war. And so, you know, you didn't really cross that border. And there were uh, opinions about either side, depending on who you, you talked to. And so the people of the northern kingdom, they had to set up a, a new religious seat. They had to have a capital city and a place where they could go worship because they were Jewish after all, but they couldn't go to the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was. They could no longer go to temple to worship and pray and sacrifice. And so they set up a new temple, and the people of Judah saw this as an act of apostasy. They had essentially abandoned the faith in Samaria. And so this feud kind of grows, and this split grows between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom until we arrive in Jesus' day, and there's a lot of hostility. But the beautiful thing about Jesus' ministry is that Jesus kind of begins to tell a different story about the Samaritans that is, is wildly different than the narrative that was being told by the prevailing powers of Jesus' time. If the people in power were saying that Samaritans were not welcome in the temple, they were not truly a part of the covenant of Abraham, Jesus was saying, no, they belong. And we see this in stories like, you know, the parable of the, great, the Good Samaritan. And um, the, the power of that parable comes in that um, a, a Jewish priest and a Jewish Levite, a lawmaker, <laughs> walk by a man that's in need, but a Samaritan does the right thing, the religious thing, right? We've all probably encountered that story. And there are others, too, where Jesus is interacting with Samaritans in a new way that's inviting them into this covenant. And so Simon is a Samaritan. Simon's not just a Samaritan. We're told he's a magician. In some cases, he's called a sorcerer, which would be fun. Uh, and I don't know what sorcerers necessarily do, though I, I have read Harry Potter. Um, he had magical powers, maybe. But he's not just a sorcerer or a magician. Actually, we're told in some of the extra-biblical literature that he's a god, lowercase g, of course. And he actually had a statue erected for him in the city of Samaria. And in this statue, he's kind of, he's striking this very godlike pose. And underneath, there's an inscription, and it says, To Simon, the holy God. So Simon is a Samaritan who has a lot of power and influence over the people. And he's considered a god. And so it's no wonder that when Philip comes to town and Philip is preaching the gospel and he's baptizing people and, and all of a the sudden there are these, these people that couldn't walk before that are walking and, and people that were sick that are being healed, of course Simon is going to notice because some of the people that were used to following him around and worshiping him, they're leaving. Simon doesn't react to this in a bad way, I don't think, he, he becomes curious. How is this happening? Because even he knows the people that couldn't walk before that are walking, and he knows the power that Philip must have, and he sees the crowd growing, and he sees his crowd that used to be around him shrinking, and so he's curious. And he goes to Philip, 
and he listens to Philip's teaching, and he sees what Philip is doing, and the text tells us in Acts that he believes. Simon believes, and Simon is baptized. I just want to pause here for a moment to point out exactly how big God's grace is in the world. Simon is a Samaritan, he's a sorcerer, and he is maybe a self-proclaimed, at least by others, he is called a God and he lives into this reality of being a God and God's grace, the true God, the one God, God's grace still extends to him. This is a really significant moment in the book of Acts where Luke, the writer, is trying to tell us just how big God's grace and love truly is. That it's not just for the insiders in Jerusalem, right? It's not just for the people that follow the law perfectly. It's not just for the people that go to the right places. This goes beyond that. It's for Samaritans, and it's not just for Samaritans. It's for the sorcerers who were considered sinners, and it's for the people who even proclaim that they are gods among others. It's pretty beautiful, I think. God's grace covers Simon. Now, just because Simon is baptized doesn't mean that he's necessarily the greatest person, though. There was one commentator, I'm going to forget the name, but uh, he said something like, Simon went down and was washed, but he was not cleansed. There's still something going on in Simon's heart. But Simon continues to follow Philip around. He continues to uh, listen to his teaching. He continues to see these miracles that are being performed. He continues to watch. And then one day, two new disciples show up. And they're doing kind of the same thing that Philip had been doing, but they've added something. They're doing the teaching. They're teaching about Jesus in the way and this Messiah in Jerusalem. And and they're also doing the baptizing, but then they're, they're doing this thing where people are coming forward and they're laying their hands on their forehead. And they're praying over them. And the rumor is, is that somehow these people are receiving the Holy Spirit. Simon gets curious again. Simon really wants this. But this is not the Holy Spirit. Simon doesn't want to receive the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want to receive the grace of God in his life so that he can be sent into the world to help spread and build God's kingdom. Simon wants the power to give the Holy Spirit to others. I don't know if you caught that in the text. He wants the power to give the Holy Spirit to others. He wants the power to distribute God. And why wouldn't he? He's been called a God himself. He's kind of been made irrelevant. And so if he has the power of God, if he has the power to, to hand out the Holy Spirit to whoever comes, he can, he can just pick up and move and go to some distant land and then start the practice all over again and gain a whole new crowd of people and, and get their attention and then have them waiting on his every single word. He can control them. He can take their money. He can really do whatever he wants.
And so in his desire to gain this power of God, he goes to Peter and he says, hey, I'll give you all the bags of money I've got. Just teach me how you do that. Teach me the trick. Teach me the gimmick. How, do you, how are you doing that thing where you send the Holy Spirit into people? Because I like that, because that's, that's getting you a lot of attention. And Peter, of course, rebukes him and says, may you perish with your silver. Which is just a great insult. If you're looking for biblical insults and you don't have one in your bag, you can throw that one out. May you perish with your silver. Or I like the other one, you're resting in the gall of bitterness. That's another good one. In any case, Simon is reprimanded, he's rebuked, and Peter sees him for what he actually is. He's not a person that wants to come into the community of God's people. He's not a person that wants to go be sent into the world to show people the grace of God. He's a person that wants to play God. He's a person that wants to distribute power and authority. He wants to be a gatekeeper, determine who's in and who's out. Simon wants power. He does not want grace. And I've been there. I've been there. You might think if you were to win half a billion dollars, you'd do a lot of good. Set up a charitable trust. Take care of your friends' and family's bills. You might think you'd give a lot of it away. You might think with enough life that you could do all of the things that you had hoped you would do. You might think that you'd spend time with the people that you love more. You might think that you'd go to those places that you wish you would have gone to. You might think with more time and more money that you would do all the things that you know should be done or that you wish you would have done. And, hey, maybe you would. I'm not going to determine whether or not you would do that. Maybe you would. Maybe you'd do a lot of good with it. And maybe you wouldn't. Howard Thurman, the mystic and professor, he always used to say this thing. <laughs> and I, I've been listening to old recordings of him lately. Um, the, he has this refrain. He, he says, you know, if, if, if you're going to be a Christian, if you want to do this, what you have to do, you have to go somewhere. You have to be alone. You have to sit by yourself. Close your eyes. You have to ask yourself, who am I really? Who am I? What am I about? What do I desire? What do I want? Where am I going? He kind of just says it over and over and over again. But I think it's a great question. Who are you? Who are you really? What are you up to? What do you desire? Because if you do happen to win half a billion dollars, 
who you are is going to determine what you do with that, right? If you come into a little bit of power, who you are is going to determine what you do with it. And so it's a good question to ask. Who are you? Today we celebrate the baptism of our Lord. We celebrate this great acknowledgement that before time, before you were even you, God began this work of grace inside your heart. It's not dependent on anything that you've done or anything that you could do. It's just happening inside of you. And this work that God began, God intends to see to completion. And so as you go, I want you to ask yourself that question, who am I? What do I desire? Am I after more power in the world? Or am I resting in God's grace? Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for your son. God, thank you for baptism. Thank you for the outward sign of this inward reality that we are yours and we belong to you. And that, God, we are loved. Lord, would you teach us who we are? First, beloved children of God, and then only you know. Be with us this day and this week as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.